Welcome to Best Hour of Their Day. We have an amazing guest for you, John Berardi. Most of you will know him as the founder of Precision Nutrition. I've taken the course. My wife has taken the course. She's a PN level two, as well as hundreds, if not thousands of CrossFit athletes, coaches, and box owners. It's a great course. John is also really proud of his new venture, Changemaker. Check out his book. We're going to talk all about that in today's episode. And today's episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. I happen to love this company. I've been using Inside Tracker for years now. It was really a huge turning point in my life. You know, I've been involved in flexible eating. I track my macros. But like many of you, I kind of let myself get a little too flexible, the old if it fits your macros mentality. And a few years ago, I got linked up with Inside Tracker. They came out, they took some blood. And I realized, wow, well, I might be lean. I might have a six pack. I might feel okay. My blood work is telling a different story. And I had to make some changes. It was then that I really thought about not just the quantity, not just the tracking, but really putting an effort into getting good quality food. Who would have thought eating meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, and no sugar actually works? So you get your test results. It tells you what foods you should eat to change some things. For me, my testosterone was low or my cholesterol was a little bit high. And I got on the phone, was told what foods I should start to incorporate it, took another test six months later, and really saw some improvement. So Inside Tracker really provides personalized health recommendations through blood. And now they also do DNA analysis so you can perform better, you can recover faster, and you can live longer, right? Isn't that what this is all about? Who cares how much money you have in the bank? Who cares what kind of clothes you're wearing? It's all about living a healthier, better, longer life. That's what this is all about. So a couple things. Go check out Inside Tracker, and we've got a code for you. You can use the code BESTHOUR, and that's going to get you 20% off any plan you choose. I've done the ultimate. I want to know all of the biomarkers. I've done the DNA now, but you can even use it for your inner age or for some of the other options on there. So that code best hour will get you 20% off and it'll help you stop guessing and start measuring because that's what it's all about. You know, it's not just performance in the box, but these data points, these metrics are really going to help you check it out. If you haven't already inside tracker, Firm does it. I do it. Great stuff. The code best hour will get you 20% off your next purchase there. You're not going to regret it. But we've got a great episode coming right here for you. John Berardi, this was so exciting. I was really excited because here's the deal. The guy has set his life up so he doesn't have to work. He's doing one podcast, one podcast in these four months that he's on sabbatical. And guess what? It was with me. It was on best hour of their day. And it's super awesome. This dude, really, really great knowledge bombs. He's going to talk about how to change your life and how to set yourself up to have the best life, the life you deserve. So I'm really excited about this. Best hour of their day brings to you some of the best guests out there in the health and fitness world. And today's episode really exemplifies that. So sit back, whether you're driving, whether you're sitting around on the beach, whether you're out for a walk, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Best Hour of Their Day. Welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. We have a very, very special guest today, founder or co-founder of Precision Nutrition and founder of the Changemaker Academy, John Berardi. Thank you very much for coming on, John. Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you making the time to chat with me, and I hope everyone listening in gets a lot of value out of our chat today. Just so you know, I was in touch with a few of your employees or colleagues at Precision Nutrition getting ready for this podcast, and they were going to get someone on to represent the company. And they said, who would you like to speak to? I said, well, it's, the answer is quite obvious. I'd love to speak to... To John Berardi, and they said, "Well, we don't think that can happen, but just you know, we'll reach out to him." So I, I know you're busy. I know you're on a slight sabbatical out in Arizona. So I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do this. I, of course, want to hear all about Precision Nutrition, but you have 
a lot of really cool things going on right now, specifically your book, Changemaker and the Changemaker Academy. Can you tell me where that developed from when you were you know, the, at the forefront of the, this nutrition evolution in the world? What, what made you kind of not steer off course, but, but take a slight, slightly different path right now? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I mean, part, part of it has to do with this industry, which, you know, the health and fitness industry is all I've, all I've ever known. I, I started um, in it when I was like 16 years old working at a gym. And so I've been doing it for a really ridiculously long time. And, um, and it's just, I mean, it's been so good to me. It's given me my hobbies. It's given me uh, many of the important relationships in my life. It's giving me financial security. It's giving me, given me a purpose, you know, with my work. So, um, so part of the reason for creating Changemaker, which the subtitle of the book says it all, turn your passion for health and fitness into a powerful purpose and a wildly successful career. Um, you know, I, I've kind of done that myself. You know, I, I started just being interested in health and fitness as a way, frankly, to cope with some difficulties I had growing up with health issues and I was chronically skinny and small as well. And so, you know, it went from maybe a solution to a problem, to uh, a hobby, to a passion and to a career and, and um, you know, and a lot of success for me. So that was part one. Like what have I learned over the last 30 years that I could share with the industry to help them avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I see them falling into, you know, um, people getting stuck uh, in this, which there's a certain irony to getting stuck in a career that you were so passionate and many times left your first and primary career to be in, you know? So you're like, Hey, I love this thing. I want to be part of it. Yay. Jump over to it. And then after a while you feel stuck in it and it's not going anywhere. And so I saw a lot of that and I realized, Hey, I, I've learned a lot of lessons that I can teach. And the second thing was a timing issue. Um, you know, Phil Caravaggio is the co-founder of Precision Nutrition with me. Um, in uh, 2016, 2017, we were looking for a financial partner to help with the company. Uh, Precision Nutrition, uh, for those who don't know, uh, has gone on to become the world's largest nutrition coaching certification and software company. And I mean, it was just getting big and the reach was growing and these were all phenomenal things, but probably too much for just two dudes to own on their own and try and support on their own. You know, our team's 150 people. So, I mean, what I learned happens as a company grows like that is that, you know, your monthly expenses exceed the net worth of the, uh, of the founders, right? So if anything were to go badly and everything was going great, so we're lucky that way, we wouldn't be able to support it. So we were looking for financial partners and we ended up selling the majority of the company um, in 2017. So that just gave me the time and space to think about creating Changemaker. And then as I was creating Changemaker, the Changemaker Academy was born out of that. So really long-winded answer to say, you know, this industry has been so good to me. I've learned a ton of things. Uh, I wanted to share them. And the right time to share them came uh, right in 2017 when I was so inclined to do this in the first place. Uh, and I had the space to do it. You know, I was no longer operationally involved in precision nutrition. We brought in some great people to run the company and to do the roles that we were filling. And so that gave me the time to sit down and write a book. I, I wanna take a step back. I wanna go back 30 years to something you just mentioned. You, you've been involved in this fitness industry and I can tell it's a passion of yours, much like mine, since you were 16. So like me, you, you found your way into this gym at, at a very young, very impressionable age. What was the reason you went to the gym in the first place at 16 years old? Yeah, I write, I write, write about this in the book, as you know. You know for me, um, I, was, I was a terrible high school student. You know, People might not guess that now, considering I have a PhD and all that, but um, I was hanging out with, quote unquote, the proverbial wrong crowd. And, um, you know, we were uh, drunk a lot of the time, skipping loads of school, doing a lot of varied drugs. And so um, 
that all kind of culminated in a moment when you know we were out uh, drinking drugs, driving around. Uh, my friend was driving the vehicle, and we ended up getting into a crash, which I thought I thought was going to end all of our lives. And um, I had already been arrested a number of times with these guys, um, and so this this night would have been the third. And they actually got arrested that night. Uh, what ended up happening was we crashed the car. I thought we were all going to die. We were super lucky we didn't. They put the car back on the road and kept driving around. I, I decided well, enough's enough. I'm going to walk home. And, uh, and they ended up getting arrested for what would have been my third time with them that night. And for me, that was a walk away from literally everything I, I, I knew socially. Uh, I never hung out with those guys again. Um, I stopped drinking and doing drugs and and it, it's, it was a weird time because, you know, the uh, these stories of redemption or whatever sound great in retrospect where you see the arc and then there's the crisis. And then, you know, then you then you guys all know the end of this story turned out pretty positively, at least up till today. But there's this space, this time where you don't have any social outlets. You don't have your old coping mechanisms. So drugs and alcohol are a way to cope. and and all of a sudden I don't have them and it's incredibly lonely. And, and so that's where I found my way to the gym for the first time. You know, I, I just was like, I have time, I'm sick and I'm scrawny. I think eating well and working out will help. So I found my way to the gym and uh, very shortly thereafter found a mentor, uh, the guy who owned the gym. Uh, he was a very successful guy. He owned a chain of gyms. He was well-educated. He was well-spoken. He was, financially successful. He drove a nice car, he had a beautiful girlfriend who's now his long-term wife. And um, he just kind of took me under his wing. And that, and that was the beginning. You know, that's when I changed my body and then he gave me a job and I started the gym and then he would give me books to read and send me home with these books and say, come back next week and I'll give you more books. And then he became my training partner and uh, made me promise him in repayment, I would go back to school, get an education, um, and do better with my life. And so that's kind of what I've done. And so I, I feel like I owe this tremendous debt of gratitude to him and to the things that he showed me in the gym. Well, he probably was referring to high school. Little did you know you'd go on to get a PhD and become a doctor. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. You've more than repaid him. Do you ever look up your old buddies on social media, Facebook, to see what they're up to compared to what you've done with your life? You know, it, it's been a long time and a lot of water under the bridge. And, and one of the individuals in the car who um, was my best friend at the time, uh, I've been in touch with a few times over the years. You know, my parents still live in that town that, that I grew up in. So Is that Lansdale, Pennsylvania? Yeah, in Pennsylvania. That's right, in Pennsylvania. So you know, periodically when I've been back in town, I've reconnected with at least one of the, the guys that were in the car that night. And, uh, and beyond that, you know, it's, it's a great question. Like they're looking people up on social media. I was talking about this the other day because uh, one of my friends isn't on any social media, which sounds crazy for like a modern person <laughs> to not be on any social. And she's not. And so we were talking about the pros and cons of that. And there's certainly some uh, some real pros to that. And we were talking about some of the cons being like, um, the pros being the same cons. Like, for example, you can't, you can't look up the old people. You know what I mean? If you don't live in that town anymore, they are no longer existent, you know, unless you want to hire a private eye to get a full report, you know? Um, and, and that's probably one of the cons too. There's like not a lot of opportunity to reflect back on sometimes that we're positive, you know? So it's, it's kind of interesting, but no, I, I tend not to, you know, my interactions with social media are creative in nature. And, uh, this is a bit of one, a bit of one of my life philosophies. Now, you know, my wife, Amanda and I have four children, they're nine, seven, five, and three. And right now in education, there's a big discussion about screen time, you know, and, and what it's doing to children especially in the developmental phases. And a lot of the thoughts are just around like limiting, banning screen time, you know, which I, it's an untenable proposition, you know, like the world is not going away from screens. 
you will not be able to ban screens from your children and adolescents and teenagers and then become adults' lives. I mean, it's, it's silly, especially when we're sitting in front of the screens ourselves, do as I say, not as I do. Um, so for me, it really becomes about if we're going to be looking at screens, what is the way to use them so that we don't get all the negative effects that people are talking about? And I think one of the ways is use screens more as a creative endeavor than a consumptive endeavor, you know? So uh, sure, watch Netflix or uh, look through socials or whatever, but think about like, what's your ratio of creation to consumption? And wherever you are now, start nudging it more towards creation, you know? And, and now in my life, you know, my use of screens is skewed at least oh, greater than 50% toward creation rather than consumption. So when you say that, what are some ways that you are creating in front of the screen? Obviously things like writing a book and, and blogging, but what are some other ways that people listening can take from this and actually start to implement in their lives? Yeah, for me, writing's always been a passion. So that's, that's a lot of my creative outlet. Um, you know, but, you know, now I've started to do, you know, visual and, and video and things like that. So for me, it's, it's content creation, you know, and I, I won't suggest that people have to copy me because I think copying other people is probably starting down the path of unhappiness in your life and career. You know, when you don't spend the time to dig most deeply into it, into who it is that you are and what you need. Uh, and then develop that at its like most, you know, sort of uh, embodied and uh, mastered um, expression. Uh, and, and, you know, an example is really recently I was talking to a friend who runs a very successful business and he was asking me how to build um, a content machine like Precision Nutrition has. And again, for those who don't know, PN, you know, gets two, three million visitors a month to the website, um, has what many people consider the best content engine in the space, uh, best articles, best infographics, best animated uh, videos. And, uh, and I was the editor in chief at PN for a long time. So, you know, I was part of the creation of that machine, that content machine. And so this individual, when he asked me, I was like, well, I can tell you how to build a content machine. Like I, I know the, the bits and pieces that go into it. The problem is I don't see anyone at your company who's creating this kind of content just because, you know, like it has to start with a personal orientation to doing a particular thing. I mean, I was writing mock articles for the magazines when I was like 19 years old. You know, this wasn't because I thought I would get paid or be able to submit them or anything. It was just what I was doing with my free time. You know, I was like a writing nerd. I was just sitting at the desk in my parents' house in the bedroom that I had in their house and, and just writing articles with pen and paper. You know, I would write uh, the title, my name, and the publication and the date that I expected that it would be in, you know, as a practice, I guess. Um, and so I'm like, that's how these things have to begin. So don't copy me because I, I was doing this unpaid for fun uh, with no hope of it being a business opportunity. Um, and, and so what I advise that individual is like, but what I see you guys doing is I see you talking on microphones a lot and I see you in front of video cameras a lot. So what if you tried to create the equivalent of a content engine like Precision Nutrition's only using the mediums you're already gravitating towards and make them world-class. So anyway, my point being like, if, 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 you know, being in front of a screen in a creative endeavor is part of your profession, then I think really the magic happens is when you find the creative expression that represents you, like the thing that you would be doing. I, I call it ride the horses in the direction they're already going. So it's, uh, You don't want to turn the horses around, make them go the way they don't want to go. So which way are they going? Okay, great. Now let's ride them that way and let's build skills and let's, you know, build efficiencies 
and do it well. So again, I, I don't have anything prescriptive here, but it's, are you writing? Are you creating video? Are you creating visual medium? Is it photography? Is it um, graphic design? In the case of our children, uh, it may be certain games that they play. Uh, a, a lot of their screen time is spent doing, uh, our children go to Montessori school. So uh, apps, Montessori apps, which you know are just ways of learning in a progressive you know, pattern based on their age appropriate capabilities. So that's, that's kind of where we're at with that. And again, it's not no, you know, consumption. It's just wherever we're at now, if it's 100% consumption, how do we get to 95% consumption and 5% creation? And then can we continue to create fun ways to do creation so that they want it to then become 90%, 10% or 80, 20? And continue to nudge that in, in this gentle way, like we would with food, you know, like the idea that we're going to somehow for the rest of our lives, eliminate all sugar. That's just absurd. It's a, it's a silly utopian ideal that can't really coexist in the practical world. And so I think that way about this as well, like how do we just nudge behavior in a more positive direction, which would be uh, maybe instead of, you know, three quarters of your carbohydrates coming from sugar, we start with one half and then make the other options so appealing and the goals that you have so appealing, you nudge it even a little bit further. I think that's great. And I think that's one of the reasons I love PN. And for the record, I'm a, I have my PN1, my wife has her PN2. So we, you know, wholeheartedly believe in the company. And, and one thing that you guys do really well is just that idea of start small in so many aspects of life people try to go all in too fast and often that leads to failure where like mm -hmm. you're saying hey just just push it over five percent ten percent and let's see what happens from from an outside perspective you know to put it bluntly you seem to be someone that has their shit together right you've got this company you've got these books this beautiful family i'd imagine you have some rules in your life that you've set that you would abide by on a daily regular basis do you have any of those and if so do you mind sharing a couple yeah so the i do and and so the first thing i would say is that um you know when i appear on podcasts or in uh the field of course it looks like i have my shit together <laughs> because we're, we're talking about the areas that I actually do, right? No one's going to have me on and be like, hey, JB, we'd like to talk to you, to you about the areas where you're really terrible, <laughs> you know? So um, this is the skewed perspective that you get when you ask people questions within their domain of excellence, which, which is, this is mine. Um, and I was actually, uh, so Amanda and I, we uh, drop, we get up together, get the kids prepared for school, take them to school together, then we go for a workout together and usually we have a walk after. So on our walk today, we were talking about this thing exactly. Uh, I was recently interviewed for a parenting podcast and the same kind of idea came up and I was just like, I was sharing this with her. I was like, you know, what uh, people maybe need to hear, I don't know, I, I guess uh, some people don't actually know this, is that, um, where you put your intention tends to be the areas that you progress the most and you can't put your intention in all the areas. So some of the areas of your life won't get any attention and those will be the ones you're a little bit embarrassed by or that you don't shine a public light on. Um, and you know, to the point, uh, this, uh, this podcast I was on was a while ago and it was you know, when I was still finishing the book. And so my intention was on creating the best possible book I could that would have, you know, far ranging impact in the health and fitness industry. Um, and my intention was also being the best dad that I could. And I was putting very little attention on being the best husband that I could. Um, and didn't mean that I was terrible or abusive or any of that. It just meant Amanda and I had decided like, Hey, for this next phase, we're probably not going to work on our relationship at all. And it's, as a consequence, it's not going to be great, you know, and, and it wasn't, and it wasn't terrible, but uh, we weren't on the same page about a lot of things. So we weren't in sync in the way that we know we can be in sync. And that was for like an extended period. 
And so, you know, that was my answer then. And it, I, it's, it's kind of like a warning, but also reality check. Like, hey, I, I'm only asked to talk about the areas I'm strong in and the areas that I'm weak in, I'm weak in because I'm just not attending to them, you know? And, and we all have to make those choices in our life. I've made the, the stove analogy, right? You know, let's, let's imagine you have a, a four burner stove. Well, you can only be cooking four things at once. And I put the things that I'm cooking actively on the front burners, you know, and that, those are the ones I turn up the heat and they're the ones I'm stirring. The things that I'm just keeping maintenance on are on the back burners, right? So they're on low heat, but I still have to tend to them. And then there's a bunch of things I'm not cooking right now, you know? And so I think that's true about life. So anyway, I bring that up as a bit of a side note to the idea that, oh, JB's got his shit together. Nah, I mean, I'm, I'm just competent in the areas that I attend to and the areas that I'm not attending to presently are just as bad as anyone else's area that they're not attending to, you know? So I so just thought me, that was important to say. Let me interrupt you there. What are those areas right now? What's, what's one area in your life where the burner is off? So I'd say that, uh, you know, we, we just, we're in a period of transition right now, as, as I mentioned before we went live. You know, we just um, moved down to Scottsdale, Arizona to spend the winter here. So just prior to this, it was book, uh, parenting were on the front burners. Um, my back burners were uh, fitness and a little bit of precision nutrition work that I was still sort of, you know, wrapping up in, in terms of operational roles. And then probably off the stove were, you know, um, social and my uh, my relationship, my marriage with with Amanda. So that that's what it was, you know. Let's say fall of last year. Uh, right now, this year, um, and I, I mean, it probably sounds wonderful to a lot of people, uh, but I'm on sabbatical, so the work burner is totally off. I'm doing. As I mentioned to you, this is the only interview I'm doing for the next four months, the only piece of work that I'm actually doing. So there's literally nothing happening for work right now. And the front burners are my marriage and uh, the children. And then on the back burners, just kind of simmering is, again, sort of health and fitness and um, a couple of other projects that that are not work related. They're sort of philanthropic and things like that. So work's totally off right now and social's off as well. You know, I'm not really spending social time with friends or extended family because, you know, I'm investing everything into my, my immediate family and my relationship right now. So, you know, again, like context and depending on who you're asking, you know, I'm either doing a great job or I'm, I'm an idiot, right? Like if you were to ask my parents, like, has John been a good son for the last year? You know, no, the answer is no, because I, I'm not, because I'm not present and I'm not intentionally investing in that. You know, they live in Philadelphia. We live up here. We're not visiting very often because it's hard to travel with the six of us and our children being so young. So no, I'm, just, I'm doing a terrible job there. Um, but I've long since put down this sort of mantle of guilt and I just think this is just how a human life works. And if we pretend it works any other way, that somehow we have more hours and more capability than we actually do, then, uh, then it feels terrible to be alive. And I don't want to feel that way, you know? So, um, so I, I often think about, okay, cool. What am I intentionally going to invest in? Uh, and what am I not going to? And uh, am I okay with the consequences of that? Well, First, I want to say we're honored to have you on. This is your one hour of work in four months. So we greatly appreciate it, you spending it with us. But let me ask another question about these burners for the listeners. It sounds very simple. Hey, when you're ready, just you know, hit that ignite button and turn that burner back on. That's probably more challenging than it sounds. What are some of your ways of doing that? So when you decided, okay, my marriage burner needs to be on high, or I need to put that fitness burner back on simmer. How do you get going again? Because that's hard to go from it's off to turning back on. Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I often think of things in like zoomed in and zoomed out ways. And it's, it's one of my uh, 
one of my life tactics, if you will, where I'm like, okay, cool. There's a challenge before me. How do I look at it in the most zoomed in way possible? So in, in close, looking at the details, I can see the pores of its face, you know? And then how do I then not get locked in that space and think, you know, those eight pores that I can see are the totality of the challenge? How can I zoom way out now and look at this problem in a, not just the shape of the whole problem, but the shape of the problem in its whole context of, you know, where it sits and then where that sits in the context of my life and then where that sits in the context of maybe all life, you know? So I, I've trained this skill at Precision Nutrition because being an owner operator for so long, um, it's so easy to get down in the weeds sometimes and think about all the problems uh, and ignore how much progress you've made. Um, and other times it's really uh, easy to zoom way, way out and think about your business, like working on your business instead of in your business and forget about there's details that matter. So I train that for so many years at PN that now I can just extrapolate it out to other areas of my life. So to your point, like it can be challenging to switch priorities um, if you're zoomed way in and looking at the pores of its face, you know? But when you zoom out, you realize, oh, it all just begins with an intention. Me saying like, I am going to make space in my life for X thing, which I haven't been doing. And then the corollary to that is, I am going to take attention away from Y thing, which I've been attending to, um, and devote it to X. And this is the fatal flaw that a lot of people have. It's the flaw they have when they decide to pursue fitness, for example. You know, I feel like maybe I'm being a little too philosophical so far, but let's take it down to like getting in shape, right? People want to just that on top of all the other things they're doing in their lives. And they don't remember to say, oh wait, you can only attend to a finite number of things. What will I draw attention away from? What will I say no to? What will I stop doing? Even at the risk of disappointing someone that I love, in which case I'll probably have a heart-to-heart -heart, honest conversation with them about what's going to happen and how we can mitigate any downside to them. Um, and then we do the intention game. And where your eyes are looking, uh, I don't know if you ever read the book, Art of Racing in the Rain or saw the movie. Um, That's actually funny you mentioned my all-time favorite book and my favorite quote, What We Manifest Lies Before Us. Yep, totally. And you know, and this is, this is the idea, like what our eyes are looking at is the direction our vehicle will go, you know? And um, this, uh, I think this is so true of, of this thing we're talking about here. You know, want to shift to spending more time in your fitness and bring that on the front burner. Then you look at that thing and then you say, all right, what thing will I not look at now? And then, okay, how do I contend with that? And, and part of the problem is, and you see this, I've seen this thousands of times in my career. Some will sign up for precision nutrition coaching. They'll put their eyes on this thing. They'll get in great shape, you know, and uh, their, uh, maybe their romantic relationship or marriage will suffer. And it'll frankly end in separation and divorce. Now, I'm not saying whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. In some cases, it's probably good and others probably not good. But the idea being like maybe they didn't attend to the idea that some energy was going to go away from that. Maybe they didn't check in with their partner and say, hey, this is probably what's going to happen next. Um, and I think it's, it's because we don't, as humans, our first line isn't to think about trade-offs. It's not unless we're trained, unless we practice this. It's not to think about what do I have to say no to so I can say yes to this. And in saying yes to that, what am I actually saying no to? Because that is what you're always doing, whether you're aware of it or not. When you say yes to a new opportunity, you're saying no to not only hypothetical opportunities, but also you're saying no to some of the things you're already attending to. So this is how I make it easier. I say, I have a finite number of energy and attention units. I'm gonna devote some over to here right now. And hmm, what's probably gonna suffer? okay, cool, am I willing for that to suffer? And if other people are involved, can I have an honest conversation with them about what I'm about to do? And maybe we need to find some compromise. 
Yeah, I think it was Seth Godin that says, if it's not a hell yeah, it's a no. And I think that's mm-hmm. basically what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it is. Even though, even though I think that can get a little bit um, cliched, you know, because it, it presupposes that you're choosing among hypothetical options that are out there and not already in your life. You know, so it's like, you know, there's five new opportunities laid out before me. I have to say yes to the hell yeah ones and say no to the others. But that presupposes none of them are taking your time already. The hardest thing is to look at the things you're already doing that once upon a time you said hell yes to, you know, and you can't just add five hell yeses or even one hell yes if your life is full of three previous hell yeses. So that's where it gets mucky. You know, it sounds so easy in this cliched sense, but it gets really hard. You know, it, let's say, for example, one of the trade-offs is less time with your children so that you can pursue why goal. Are you willing to do that? Is that the right thing to do now? How will you help them understand? This is where it gets um, less tidy, you know? A lot of people listening to this have a standard job that the you know nine to five you and i don't have that you know and, and a lot based on our, our work ethic and choices we've made coming along but what do you say to those people that want to make a change or that want to do something they're more passionate about than sitting behind a desk or working for another company because often it seems like this incredibly daunting and scary and unattainable task how do you coach those people that want to make that humongous change in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, first of all, you know, we live in an age that I think glorifies entrepreneurship, um, unduly, you know, I, I'm one and I, I like it, but at times it can be as much a disease as it is a, you know, a beautiful manifestation of personal choice, you know? And, um, and I, I, I mean, I think there's lots of people who, ought to not be entrepreneurs with all the quote unquote freedom that it entails. Uh, Incidentally, lots of entrepreneurs I know don't feel that free, you know? Um, So that's part one is I want to start by debunking this idea that we should all glorify entrepreneurship, think it's the ultimate expression of freedom and personal choice, and that uh, being an employee of an organization is, is somehow less than that. I don't think that's true. This is a thoroughly modern invention. You know, if you look back at, um, I don't know, let's say times of monarchies, uh, entrepreneurs were merchants and they were thought of as quite poorly, you know, not as the, the ultimate expression of, you know, personal development as we are today. Um, so that's, that's part A, you know, but, but really to answer the question that you're asking is, you know, what if I'm in a nine to five job and I don't perceive that I have the freedom to kind of do these kind of choices and trade-offs, you know, part one is, you know, a series of exercises I outlined in the book, which is the career chapter, which is purpose, unique abilities, and values. So I walk people through a series of exercises that help them define, starting with like their, let's call it their origin story. So, you know, if you work in a field that you chose rather than just took a job out of desperation, you probably got there for some reason, you know? And so it's like, you know, Spider-Man being bitten by a radioactive spider. Every superhero has an origin story. What's yours? What's your origin story? How'd you get to this place? Whether you like it or not still. And then we begin to talk about purpose. Okay, so there's your origin story. Then there's a series of questions we answer. You know, uh, in health and fitness, oftentimes people say they're here to help people. That, well, this is my purpose. I'm here to help people but that's not specific enough. Um, You could help people by being a paramedic or law enforcement or a nurse or a physician, or you can help people by being a social worker or a counselor, or you could help people by um, being a barista at Starbucks because people need that coffee in the morning. There's a lot of ways to help people. So it's not a natural logical conclusion that you're gonna go into health and fitness. So let's get more specific. You know, so there's a host of questions Uh, I have people ask themselves and those around them to arrive at a closer approximation of a very specific 
purpose. What am I here to do? You know, and, and maybe it's not what am I here on the planet to do as a human living organism, but it's, it's what am I here professionally to do, at least now. And then from there, we jump to unique abilities, which is how can you serve that purpose with the uniqueness of you? And I define unique abilities as number one, uh, the things that you are or have the potential to be world-class at. Um, uh, down here in Arizona, uh, one of my closest friends is named Stu McMillan, and he's uh, one of the best track and field coaches in the world. He's coached so many Olympians. It's, I mean, too many to count. And he was here last night, and he was looking at our, uh, our second, our son, who's seven, uh, and he, who's a very fast runner. And he was looking at his calves, and he's like, oh, high calves, long Achilles tendon. Uh, it makes sense, right? Like, biology works. You know, and uh, anyone who knows track and field knows long Achilles tendons, short calves, uh, make your lower limb more like a spring, and it, it helps you run faster. If you don't have this, you don't have much running potential as a sprinter. Um, and so we were looking at that and talking about that last night, and that's like a unique ability of his. It's kind of this intersection between what he likes to do, our seven-year-old, and what he's built for. So when we do unique abilities work, that's what we're looking for, this intersection between who you, kind of who you are by nature, who you are by nurture, the directions you like to go, what you can or are world-class at. So that's one, can or, uh, or are or could be world-class at. Two is that you enjoy. So that this is the thing you like to do, you like to get better at, you feel like you could keep getting better for the rest of your life and career. Um, and then three is it makes a difference towards your goal, right? Uh, not this general makes a difference in the world, but uh, what's your goal? You know, is it to have a tremendous reach? Is it to make a lot of money? Is it to acquire fame? Wh whatever your goal is, no judgments on that, does this thing help move you or your company towards that. And then the last thing is your values, which I consider your guardrails, right? So the things that help you decide what to do and what not to do. You know, for the longest time, for, you know, 20 years, I had my value statement on the wall as, you know, uh, be a more present parent and partner, um, take care of my health and fitness, so self-care, which includes like working out, eating well, uh, mindfulness practice, um, plenty of sleep, stress management. And then uh, last was my work at Precision Nutrition. So the, that was my value system. So this, when I, whenever an opportunity came in, I just look at the wall and say, well, is it gonna help me be a better parent, present parent and partner? Is it gonna help with my self care? And is it gonna help with my big goals at Precision Nutrition? So. So it, this is a process, right? There's no tidy answer to how do I take my life and put it in the direction that I feel like it ought to go for contentment and happiness and purpose and power. Um, so I take people through this process and the process is designed to figure out if you should be in that nine to five in the first place. If not, maybe it'll help you identify where you should be instead. And then you can start to take steps in that direction. So the notion that I'm in a nine to five and how do I get out of that? Uh, that's not going to be fruitful. You're just going to jump from one grass is greener, you know, uh, on the other side of this, that fence. Oh no, it wasn't greener actually. Oh no, it's greener on that fence. Uh, without doing this deep work, it's unlikely you'll ever find the thing. So you might as well stay where you are now. Doing this deep work helps you decide uh, which direction you should point your ship. And then you can start taking steps to doing that. And again, in a lot of cases, you may discover, hey, I can use my unique abilities within my value systems right where I am. Uh, it would be a tremendous mistake to leave here and go try and do something else. That's not within my unique ability set. So I think none of these questions can be answered without doing this kind of work for yourself. And when I say for yourself, that's even a misnomer. You actually do it uh, with the people around you. And so all these exercises require you to ask a series of questions of yourself, but also to your friends, colleagues, loved ones, et cetera. Um, and th that's where the gold comes. You know, I often say the best ideas don't come from inside your own head. They come in the inter between the interface between you and other people. 
And that's, it couldn't be more true here. Every person who goes through this exercise tells me that I was reticent to do it at first, but then I got back all the answers and I was like, holy crap, this was the most insightful process I've ever gone through in my entire career. And also happened to be the best feeling process because you're not asking people what you suck at, you're asking them what you're good at. And then for the 10 people who you love the most to come in and give you all this positive feedback about what you're best at and what you ought to be doing with your life, uh, almost nothing feels better than that. So it's a really tremendous feeling activity and it's also really useful. That's all super valuable information and I'm hoping that a lot of people listening go check out the book where we can learn about their origin story and and start to figure that out for themselves because I think you're right so many people glorify being an entrepreneur not realizing sometimes it's actually less freedom for you and I've been through that battle myself I want to take a slight turn now PN has become huge in the CrossFit world and a lot of our listeners are CrossFit box owners coaches members etc as I said earlier I've done my PN1 my wife has done for PN1 and PN2, becoming yeah, and this. I, and, I, and I've done, and I've done CrossFit 1 and 2, and my wife is CrossFit Kids also. So we, we there's some ties in both worlds. Awesome. And that's kind of what I wanted to, to ask you. When did CrossFit come into your radar? When did you start to, you know, hear the chirps of, hey, try this crazy workout thing that's intense and, you know, you're going to be really sore and, and feel like you're going to die. When did you... When did you first hear of CrossFit and how soon after did you attempt your first workout and do you remember what it was? Yeah, um, so for me, uh, the uh, CrossFit came on my radar. Uh, I, you know, I started my career writing for uh, a magazine that used to be called Testosterone Nation and now it's called T-Nation. Um, and uh, it was actually a print magazine and online and then, you know, they closed up the print shop and then just then they, at the time they became the biggest uh, we'll call it like fitness strength bodybuilding publication in the world I mean prior to the internet as we see it today I mean there there was dial-up and uh, young guys across the world would dial up to testosterone.net to read the latest articles from folks like Charles Poliquin and some of really the early thinkers in this field uh, we'll call it like the modern strength and conditioning, bodybuilding field. Um, and so that's where I got my start. And, and uh, you know, they were on the cutting edge of all the different exercise practices and fads and new things that weren't fads. So really CrossFit came on my radar then. And shortly thereafter, I actually uh, got to meet and hang out with Dave Castro. And uh, so Dave uh, and I spent some time together and he was like, hey, I want you to, you know, I want you to experience what this is all about. Uh, I started writing for the journal back then. And, you know, I, I come from a bodybuilding and powerlifting background, and we're not all, we're not all supposed to get along. <laughs> Crossfitters and bodybuilders and powerlifters, uh, they all carve out their own space and defend it, you know, with tooth and nail. So, um, but for me, I, I've always, like, you know, the, the best embodiment of the way I like to learn is the Bruce Lee sort of quote, which, you know, and I don't know if it originated with him or not, but, you know, um, sort of accept and incorporate what is useful and reject what is not. So I was always just looking for cool things that weren't in the domain of bodybuilding or powerlifting. And, and then CrossFit came in. And so, you know, I went and did actually like all of my exposure to CrossFit was so compact and quick. You know, I heard about it, met Dave. Dave's like, come to an event. Uh, so I went to an event and I did my first Fran at that event, you know? There wasn't a CrossFit around where, I, you know, I've, I've lived in the country in Canada. Um, so I work out at home. I've worked out at home for 20, 20 years-ish. So there wasn't any CrossFit boxes. So that was my first exposure. We drove into Toronto. There's a really big CrossFit uh, in Toronto at, at the time. And so I did my level one there and I did my first Fran. That was my first CrossFit workout. Well, do you remember your time? um high five minute ish hey that's a, that's impressive first time doing a, a crossfit workout especially the notorious the classic fran uh that's that's very impressive what 
what went through your it head? It sucks so at, bad. <laughs> well, you know, that's what we say all the time about CrossFit. For something to suck this bad, but still encourage you to come back the next day, it has to be pretty special. And that's what, <laughs> that's what CrossFit is. Do, do you remember sitting through your level one, listening to the nutrition lecture and, and what was going on in your head? What did you think about it? Well, at the time, it was uh, heavily informed by Zone, right? I mean, that was really the first... Um, that was really the first iteration of, let's say, like a, a CrossFit HQ set of nutrition recommendations. And, you know, at, at this point, like this wasn't early in my career. Like I, I was pretty well established and pretty well known at the time, probably more than I am now, actually, because, uh, you know, PN has become its own entity quite independent of me. You know, at, back then I would get recognized when I went places. And now, thankfully, for my per personality type I don't um, but uh, so I, I was fairly well known and, and respected so I, I knew uh, Barry Sears the guy who, who started the zone um, and had lots of great conversations with him about it so I thought like hey this the zone is probably a great way of eating sort of generally um, for the average CrossFitter at the time because CrossFit wouldn't have really propagated out to you know the average sort of recreational exerciser so at that time, it was attracting people who were sort of naturally mesomorphic. Like if you're, if you're naturally endomorphic, let's say, um, you're probably not going to go love CrossFit. Like if you're, you know, an NFL lineman, uh, that kind of work is going to be terrible for you. Your body's too big. You know what I mean? Like it's probably not going to be the thing that you show up for after the suffering of the first day. Likewise, if you're ectomorphic, you're going to be crushed by the prescription workouts, like the loads. It's too heavy, right? If you're small and skinny and an endurance type. Um, so the people naturally gravitating towards that are mesomorphic body types, you know? And they're the ones who show up again and again. And they're the ones who I've seen uh, do the best with a mixed 40, 30, 30 diet-ish. So I thought, you know, the zone is probably not the end-all be-all diet that every human should be on. But for this population, it's probably the right fit simply because of the self-selection that happens to get you coming across fit regularly. Yeah, you know, the zone is still a big part of the nutrition lecture, but they've certainly gone in a slightly different direction and, and, and a little more all-encompassing. And I think precision nutrition had a big influence on it. And I'm really happy to see that. Are you currently training CrossFit or what does your current training routine look like on a on a daily or weekly basis? So a bunch of years ago, I, I decided to rekindle my, my love of sprinting. I was a, a high school sprinter. And so I started competing in master's level track and um, really, really enjoyed it for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it was just sort of nostalgic. Two is I retained a good deal of speed. Um, I, I'm in my mid to late forties now. And so, you know, I mean, most guys my age just didn't stay in shape. And I did, I didn't stay in track shape, but I stayed fit with low body fat and, you know, kept my muscle mass. And I probably have more now than I did when I was a high school sprinter. And um, so that was really, you know, for years I had done bodybuilding and powerlifting and I would show up at the occasional CrossFit class. Again, like it wasn't really any, so I would have had to do it alone in my home gym, which I just have less fun doing CrossFit style workouts on my own. You know, it's suffering, you know, at 9 p.m. when the kids have gone to bed in uh, my garage out in the country in Canada. Uh, people who are way more hard, hardcore than me do that, but not me do that, <laughs> you know. So, so that's what I was doing for a long time. Then I got back into sprinting. So really the last bunch of years has been kind of that, you know, um, some time on the track some uh, lifting and eating that supports that. Um, I took a little bit of a hiatus from competition uh, when we had our fourth child, um, which was three years ago now. But, uh, you know, my last track meet, I got third in Canadian nationals uh, for my age group, which, I mean, sounds great, but it's just a bunch of old dudes having fun, you know? Uh, so that's really what my training's kind of about now. Well, I know you got to go. I know you're only working one hour these, you know, couple months. So I don't want to keep you, I don't want you to work overtime today. But let me ask you just a couple quick food inspired yeah, questions. 
Um, what's, what's your favorite cheat meal? Um, so I, uh, and this is going to sound so typically nutritionist. Um, so I, uh, have to qualify it, but I don't really have a cheat meal, but it's not because I'm like so strict or whatever. I actually was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease about a year and a half ago. Um, so for the last year and a half, I've been very tight with my diet as I unpack the factors that uh, cause flare-ups. So what I was diagnosed with was psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. So it just started manifesting as skin lesions at various places in my body, and then really painful, uh, sort of de debilitating knee pain. Um, and so, you know, I've you know, I've access to great people. So I um, have worked with a number of physicians and naturopaths and, you know, uh, rheumatologists and, and folks trying to get to the bottom of, is this an immune issue? You know, what, what, is this a skin issue? What's going on? here? And so uh, for me, I've just been really tight with my diet the last year and a half to figure out like, what is, is, is there any food intervention that can help? And I found out, yes, food is a tremendous uh, player in my knee pain. Um, and, but not at all on my skin lesions. So the skin lesions are actually dealt with via uh, UVB light, which, you know, when you go out in the sunshine, you're basically getting UVA and UVB. Uh, what I have at home is a UVB light device, which uh, it looks like a single panel tanning bed uh, that is mounted on the wall. And so then I just stand in front of that for a couple of minutes uh, every couple of days, and that keeps the skin lesions at bay. And on the diet side, I found if I completely avoid uh, all dairy foods and all soy containing foods, uh, the knee pain is 95% gone. Um, so all of my favorite cheat foods would have been pizza and ice cream related <laughs> and they're out. So I guess nowadays I have, um, I have dairy free ice cream and that would be, I guess, if you called it like a cheat food, but I'll, I'll eat that after some workouts with usually with some like raw nuts, some dark chocolate, chopped up banana, something like that. I guess if, if there was such a thing as a cheat food, that would be it. And I found that that uh, combo right there, again, it's not eat healthy helps with my autoimmune disease. It's no dairy, no soy is a tremendous player. I've also found that like nightshades. So if I have too much peppers, eggplants, the, you know, those kind of foods in the nightshade category, uh, the research doesn't support this. Like I, I can't go find any literature that says nightshades will exacerbate uh, joint pain in autoimmune conditions. Uh, but it seems to be true for me. So again, not necessarily research supported, but I just don't eat a lot of tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, stuff like that, uh, because it, it seems like my knees get more sore and I, I can't do a good leg workout if I do. That's a classic nutrition answer, like you said, but but fair enough, you know, we, we, we get it. And, you know, being someone who promotes eating consistently and enjoying life, I, I also often kind of quantify that cheat meal. Last question for you. You've had such a big impact on the nutrition space. And for so many people, you've helped steer them in the right direction. You've helped give them uh, a passion in nutrition to help others. Maybe the most challenging question I'm going to ask you, who would be on your Mount Rushmore of nutrition experts out there? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it's a great question. Uh, one of the things that I always find, I think about the shape of this question quite often um, because uh, like people's answers are so generational, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm so aware that uh, right now, even my impact or the space that I occupied in the nutrition field is like so quickly being filled by others that like the next generation of fitness professional doesn't know who the heck I am or what I may have contributed. Like the spaces fill in so fast. So some of the people who sort of influenced me the most in the early days, um, most people might not like, know who they were and what they did, you know, because it, just some years have passed. Um, folks like uh, Michael Colgan, um, folks like Udo Erasmus, folks like Barry Sears, um, 
those were individuals whose work um, was like just, I was exposed to early on and they were adults and I was a young person and they were writing books. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting now when you're in a different space in life, but back then, if someone had a book, you were like, they were for sure an expert, like they must be a real professional. You know, I remember reading like Dan Duchesne's work and Lyle McDonald's work uh, when I was a teenager. And so these person, the, these individuals are really formative in my early learning. Folks like Nancy Clark and Sue Kleiner. Um, these are people who were writing about sport nutrition and fitness nutrition. Uh, and again, I, I, I wonder if many of the current uh, fitness professionals even know some of these folks, but those were a lot of the folks that um, sort of uh, helped shape my education early on. And that doesn't mean that all their ideas were valid or some of their ideas held up very poorly, as will a lot of the current ideas. You know, as time makes us more informed, we'll see a lot of things we believe today as completely absurd. And I was sharing this with our daughter the other day as like a, a meta principle. You know, I was like, we can't be too confident about what we think we know. And usually the younger we are, the more confident we feel about what we think we know, or age doesn't play into it. And the more trained we are, the more confident we think we are in what we know. But there was a time when all the best doctors in the world thought that women had smaller brains and couldn't think as well as men. Like this was a medical consensus. And obviously we know that's absurd, you know? And we got to talking about all these various things, you know, and we talked about how uh, because of all these biases, you know, my daughter's really interested in musical theater. Um, women weren't even allowed to play women's roles in theater productions, you know, so a lot of the things we believe today will be equally absurd. A lot of things we're really confident in today, really like someone right now listening to this is confident about something that will in 20 or 50 years be the equivalent of women have smaller brains than men and therefore shouldn't X, Y, and Z. Some of my ideas will be proven that way and some will everyone's greatest nutrition heroes. So I guess my point is maybe we shouldn't carve anyone's face into nutritional Mount Everest just yet. Well, or, just sorry, Mount Rushmore. Just like the cheap meal, you did a great job avoiding that question, but we appreciate <laughs> it. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I, I love it. And I think you've said some, some great things, not just in that statement, but over the course of the last hour. And we are extremely appreciative of your time. Before we let you go, it's not hard to find John on the internet. A simple Google search will get you most of the stuff you need to know about him and where you can buy his books and where you can sign up for the Precision Nutrition course. But John, is there any place you want to direct the listeners to check you out? Yeah, I mean, if folks want to check me out, they can just check out johnberardi.com. For the first time in a really long time, I have a johnberardi.com. Everything used to just direct to Precision Nutrition. And, and johnberardi.com has links off to all the things. So if you want to learn more about my book or download a free sample of it, there. If you want to read about any of the other projects or any any of the other courses that I teach or any of the precision nutrition work or whatever else I'm up to, anything about our uh, professional stuff. I mean, you know, we've written about our organizational structure and hiring and all those kind of things uh, for those who are business owners. Um, you can, you can jump all of it, you know, to all of it from johnbarati.com. And then the other thing is just if folks, you know, <laughs> enjoyed my way of uh, answering questions, but not answering questions, but kind of answering questions, uh, then if they like that, they'll, uh, you folks will really enjoy my, my new book. I mean, it, it encapsulates everything I think I've learned over the last 30 years in the field. Uh, it's got loads of personal stories and it's got lots of things like this, like stories that sort of reflect bigger principles that when applied to the specifics of your life can really lead to a lot of positive outcomes for you. So you know, again, that's, you know, that's what I hope people check out. And again, there are free samples of the book if you want to uh, take a little taste of it before you buy it. 
um, at, from johnbrody.com. So that's where I hope people go. And, and, uh, and if they don't, that's okay too. I hope just the time we spent together brought a little bit of value into their day and into their life. Absolutely. And I think for one, I'm in the middle of reading it. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if anyone signs up for the PN1, they actually get your book along with the material that comes with the PN1. That's right. The folks at PN, again, I, I'm not involved anymore. They're, they've super generously bought loads of copies of the book and they're, they're packaging it with you know, every precision nutrition level one certification purpose or uh, purchase. So if you end up signing for P signing up for PN one, then this comes with it. Um, and uh, if you're not sure if you want to do that yet, but you want to get the contents of the book, you can just buy it at Amazon and it's, I don't know, you can get it for around 20 or 25 bucks. Well worth it. Thank you so much, John, for coming on. I did enjoy your way of answering, but not answering questions very much. <laughs> I think it was great. You've, you've dropped a ton of knowledge for our listeners, and it was a true honor and true pleasure to have you on. I'll let you go about the rest of your sabbatical, and thank you for taking your one hour of work time and spending it with best hour of their day. Thank you so much for having me, and for everyone who listened, thank you for your time today as well. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day, and thanks again to our special guest. We appreciate all you guys do for us with Best Hour of Their Day when it comes to sharing our posts on Instagram, when it comes to subscribing to us on YouTube, when it comes to the constant feedback. We are grateful and we appreciate it. We are trying to build a community based on coaching development and becoming the best version of yourself. And it goes without saying that we couldn't do without all of you. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Season one of Dropping In is out. We are getting tremendous feedback and we'd love for you to check it out. Leave us a comment on there. Head over to our Instagram, give us a follow, like our pictures, feel free to share anything that resonates with you. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback for us, Please don't hesitate. Email us, besthouroftheirday at gmail.com. Thanks again. Until the next episode, we hope you've had the best hour of your day.